Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be going through a really cool story today that everybody knows really well. Um, And my prayer is that maybe the Lord will just show us a few odds and ends that we never saw before. Um, But it's the story of uh, a, a paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof of a house where Jesus was teaching. And if you're not familiar with this story, get ready to have your skirt blown up because it's just one of those like crazy stories that like, man, this stuff only happens in the Gospels, but it doesn't. So Luke 5, we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 17, and it says this, one day he was teaching, Jesus, he, Jesus, was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, watch this, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healings. Now, if you've read through this, again, I'm thinking if you're like me, you just kind of like, yeah, yeah, power, perform, healing, ba 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 We get it. It's Jesus. It's whatever. But take note of that and highlight it, in fact, with your highlighter that you bring with you to mark the scriptures that we're going over. That one? Yep. Grab that one. Highlight it. Underline it. Whatever you got to do. Because the gospel writer, in this case, Luke, is, is making a specific point that in addition to Jesus just being there teaching, that something else is there too. The power to perform healing was there. All right, good. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. Everybody say, the crowd. Because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, everyone say their faith. Seeing their faith, he says, here you go, red letters right here. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Verse 21 says, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can just forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins have been forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, I'm wondering how, like, seeing somebody healed, like, but seeing somebody lowered through a a hole that's cut in the roof of a room where you're taking notes on a lecture, I feel like that would be nearly as astonishing. So the whole picture is just like, what is happening here? So we're going to dig in, and I want to go through the four different characters in this story, because there are four specific people in the script. And the first one is this sort of nameless, faceless mass of people that in scripture and throughout all of history is just wrong. They're always wrong. And that is the crowd. Everybody write down crowd. Crowd. The crowd is always wrong. Why? Because it takes on its own identity. Even if a crowd is made up of generally 
good and decent human beings, for some reason when the crowd gets together, like it, it, it takes on, it becomes this monster and, and does things that none of those people as individuals would ever even consider doing. And, and when it's over, there's like almost like a mass, sort of like adrenaline or hysteria, a chemistry that happens. And people are like, I don't, I don't even know how that happened. I, w- I would never do that. But you just did because you were part of the crowd. People have asked me before, well, Zach, how's that any different than the church? When you rile the church up and get the church to do something, because the church is not the crowd. The church literally is translated from the word ecclesia, which means called out of. And what are we called out of? We are called out of the crowd. This is not a crowd. This is the church. This is the bride. And so when we come together, we too take on another identity. We become that corporate unified bride of Jesus Christ that is capable of more than the sum of our parts. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is invested in it. But in the same way that the Holy Spirit is invested in the unity of the corporate church, the prince of the powers of the air, our very real and present enemy, has a spirit invested in a worldly crowd or even in a religious crowd. Why is the crowd wrong? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, get this. The greatest hindrance to people who want to get close to Jesus is the people who are already close to him. (laughs) Wow. I love that. Don't just do it because it's my birthday. Do it because it's real. Guys, I'm going to say it one more time. The greatest hindrance to people getting close to Jesus is the people who are already closer to him. That's terrifying. And yet throughout scripture, over and over and over, whether it's Zacchaeus, which because of his, you know, altitude, you know, deficiency, dude has to climb a tree. Why? Because the crowd was, was forbidding his ability to see him. Whether it's the woman with the issue of blood who with the very last little bit of strength that she has is crawling through what? A crowd just about to die before she can reach up and get a hold of the hem of his garment. Or whether it's the children, the little children, trying to get to Jesus and the disciples. Who? The disciples. Who? The people who were closest to Jesus. The ones who were, who were, who were mobbed around him at all times, thinking that their role on the earth was to protect him from the very people that he came here to serve. The greatest hindrance to people who want to get close to Jesus is so tragically, so often the people who are already closer to him. The crowd, saints, the crowd was not sensitive to the specific grace for healing that was in the room. You see, when a crowd comes together, there's an agenda, whether it's to protest something or to boycott something or to see something. A crowd came together and they they were there for a reason totally neglecting the fact that Jesus was there for a reason too. And it was who? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they were notorious for wanting this setting up sort of like entrapment. They wanted to get Jesus to say something, to stumble over something so that they could point and prove you're wrong. That's not, you're not who you say you are. They wanted to prove him wrong and, and, and expose this scandal, this idea that the son of God was out walking around as the son of some carpenter out of Nazareth. It's insane. So they became the crowd. They were the ones 
who were notified first and foremost, and they would be at these places, in these rooms, scoffing and mocking and criticizing those who came like the woman with the alabaster box and dumped it on Jesus' feet, unknowingly prophesying the, the, the anointing of his burial that was about to take place. And in that prophetic act, there was a room full of religious people who were criticizing her. Why? Because the crowd is always wrong. If you're writing things down, one more thing about the crowd. The crowd prioritizes performance over power and purpose. The crowd prioritizes performance over power and purpose. You see, the power and purpose of this day was for healing. And the power of the Lord was there for healing. It's interesting, isn't it? The crowd didn't come for healing. The crowd came for teaching. The crowd came backing Jesus into this corner. Isn't it interesting? Everybody called him rabbi. But that day he was Rapha. There was power in the room for healing. And so often we come in and instead of really discerning, instead of really being sensitive to what, God, what is it, what is it that you want to do here today? That's what I love about Pastor John and the, the, the intercessory team, the prayer team that are praying before the first service in the morning. And it's early and they're there praying, God, what do you want to do today? Who cares what Zach's message is about? Who cares what, what, what happens in world? We want to know what's happening in heaven, what's happening around your throne. If we can touch that, then we can release whatever it is that's on your agenda today. But the crowd prioritizes performance. The crowd has their own agenda. And when they're coming to see something happen, they're going to see it. They're going to find it. They're going to turn whatever it was that Jesus wanted to do, whatever it was that was on the Father's heart to really do, they're going to turn it into a performance. Let me give you an example. Um, if you, if you come here and, you know, over the years we've had people say this and that, you know, confront me, emails, whatever, this and that. Zach, the stage and the lights and the sound system and these big screens, this thing's a performance. It's a show. It's too showy. It's, too, it's all about production. Well, if you're looking for that, you're going to find it. If you're looking for that, you're going to find it. If you send the raven out of the ark, you're going to find death. If you send the dove out, you're going to find life. Over and over and over again, the church is faced with this decision. What are we here looking for? Last week, Jamal was, was uh, up and down off the stage like 100 times. Dude must have burned like 2,000 calories. Just like, was like, Ben started playing pinball wizard at one point. And uh, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm getting excited about the energy that's in the room. But at the same time, I know that there are those of us who still have a critical spirit. One young man came up to me after church, after the, the, the morning service, and he said, Zach, he said, um, I'm the guy with the critical spirit. I'm the guy who last week watched Jamal and, and made a critical judgment about it being performance and show. And I was like, Wow, can you teach a small group? <laughs> when we're looking for it, we're going to find it. Here's the crazy thing. People that came to Jesus looking for a show, looking for a performance, looking for him to get himself in trouble, 
He did it. He heals a guy on the Sabbath, right? He hangs out with hookers and and tax collectors and thieves. He's doing everything wrong based on the book. If you're coming for a show, you're going to find it, for better or for worse. If you're the seeker-friendly person that's like, I don't really want just to be convicted of my sins. I want to come in and feel good about my lifestyle and who I'm sleeping with and, you know, and the drugs I'm doing and, you know, and I want to, I want to feel, just make me feel better, pastor. You will come in and feel better because the presence of the Lord is here. You will come in and feel motivated because the kingdom motivates us. But you may miss something far more important, and that is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that's intent, set and intent on seeing us changed for his glory. So the next one is the crew. Right? If, you have a, if, you, if you need a title for this message today, it's the crowd, the crew, the cripple, and the Christ. Okay? Uh, Pastor Daniel, can you help me out with the... Uh, oh, oh, Wally's here. Man, Wally, you're, you're throwing me off, man. You're sitting here. You're sitting there. I love it. This guy's moving around. Fortunately, we have some, uh, some curators of fine antiquities here in the house. And... Um, we are blessed that Wally, um, in his time overseas, was actually able to obtain the very stretcher that the man was lowered in. <laughs> and so this is actually it. And we're, we're trying to be really careful. I don't want anybody bothering us. The museum wants it right back after the, uh, right back after the service. So anyway, um, Wally's got all the connections. But um, so this is the stretcher. And I want to talk about the crew for a minute because I think that there is something really cool about this group of people who, by the way, are also nameless and faceless. Just says there were some men. We don't get to know their names. I want to know their names so bad. I want to be like, which one of you had this idea? Which one of you locked it in that this was going down in the annals of the word of God and would be written and read and remembered for all of history? Because this is epic. But until then, let's talk about it. First of all, I need some, anybody feeling strong this morning? Y'all came up to the second service? Sawyer? Yeah? Kaysen, are you feeling strong? Yeah? All right. All right. Come on up. Come on up. I need some other strong people. My man, Shane Heatherson. How about, how about my guy Cash over here? Can you help me out? You may not feel strong, but you look strong. He's, he is, dude. My guy's cut, bro, in the spirit. All right, I'm just going to, I want to lay down on this. Okay, good. Oh, praise the Lord. All right, now see how there's four handles and four guys? All right, you guys ready? All right, bend at the knees. All right, here we go, ready? One, two, three. Hey, this is my guy right here, doing it in vans. All right. Are you good? You guys got this? All right. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, take me for a trip. Take me to see Jesus. Now you got to find him. Give it up for my guys right here. Keep going. Keep going. All right. Yep. No, this is good. I, I, want, I want us all just to take this in. Mike Valdez, good to have you in the house. Let's go down this way. I want us all to take this in for a reason because you guys are feeling kind of shaky. You got this? 
All right, are we sure? Christian, could you jump in? That'd be helpful. Dave, somebody help me. Mark, anybody? I'm feeling like I'm getting dumped out here, but I'm just, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. Okay. So I want to just say this, that throughout history, men and women of God have resorted to very unorthodox means of getting people to Jesus. You find Jesus. You tell me. Let's go out this way. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Good, good, good. This is when it gets real, all the people who are trying to skip church out in the corridor. I'm going to find all the people down at the coffee shop. Let's take me down and around. Yep, here we go. Oh, this is good. Somebody needs to feed me grapes, too, while this is happening. Good. But I want to talk about this crew for a second because I think that they're the unsung heroes of this story. You see... Carrying somebody around on a stretcher is one thing, but lifting them up, and this is when it's going to get real, all right? Get the ropes out, guys. Carrying somebody is one thing, but getting them on the roof of a house. Why is Will just like walking around like, <laughs> Will, jump on this, jump on this thing with me. No. <laughs> I got it. What's up, I got Mr. It. Parker? I got it. Get on here. Let's see what these guys have. Let's see what they're made of. This is perfect. All right, we can go back up on the stage. Yes. Here we go. You, you got it, Kason? All right, don't dump me. Don't dump me. Don't, don't. Okay. Good. You can set me down right here. This is perfect. Give it up for my guys one more time, my crew. You see, if they hadn't already carried Jesus to the house, right? If they hadn't already brought him, God knows how far. Who knows? I mean, four towns away? I don't know. The teachers and the Pharisees were there from all over the known area. And they carry this guy. By the way, not one. Not one. This wasn't like a fireman carry all the way across the region. No. Guys got together to carry him. And if they hadn't carried him as far as they had, they would have been far less likely to get him up on the roof. If you're writing things down, write this down. If we won't walk with someone, we certainly won't climb with them. If we won't walk with somebody, if we're content just to walk past the same handicapped, crippled, paralyzed by fear, handicapped by brokenness, by, by bondage, by oppression. If we're willing just to walk past these people every day of our lives, then, then we're definitely not going to do whatever unorthodox or, or, or unconventional thing that's required to actually get them before the Lord. It starts with walking someone. It starts with with being compassionate towards somebody and really seeing, hey, you know what? This person's never going to make it there on their own. I believe, saints, that it's time for the crews to wake up. It's time for the crews to wake up and to notice who can't make it to Jesus on their own. Well, where do we even start? Who's missing? Who's missing? Look to your left and to your right. If you're, if, you're, if you're unaware of who used to sit next to you, if you never got their name, we're already losing as the bride. We're already losing. Well, why isn't that person there? Where have they been? 
Why don't you have a relationship enough to know where they are? And if they are, God forbid, have, have fallen astray, have fallen off the wagon, have fallen out of fellowship or back into sin or whatever it is, this is when the crews are needed. Stop being the crowd that makes it hard for people to see Jesus and start being the crew that does whatever it takes to get them there. Whatever it takes. And for the folks who are paralyzed in the room this morning, for the spiritual cripples, for the people who, who are wrestling with the parts of your life that aren't working right because of brokenness, because of bondage, because of genetics, you need these people around you. You need a group before whom you can be vulnerable enough to say, oh, no, I'm good. I'm just laying here. I'm fine. I can get up at any time. I'm just, I'm not. I'm like, I'm tired. I'm just catching up on sleep. No. I am paralyzed by fear. I am paralyzed by depression. And I'm not going to make it there without some accountability in my life. If you're writing things down, get this. Sometimes you won't break through until your friends break in. Sometimes you won't break through until your friends break in. That's why we need the four men. Even if there was somebody that could carry him there, he probably couldn't get him up on the roof by himself. That's why we need community. That's why we have to disengage from the crowd that will just scroll past these people's pictures and say, meh, what a shame. Meh, that's too bad. Eh, oh well. And instead engage in this place of intimacy, this place of proximity where we, will, where we will be willing to smell whatever smells bad, where we will be willing to maybe like risk throwing our back out for the sake of bringing someone where they need to be. One other thing that I hadn't really thought of until I was in this story this time around, and it was this, when you can't get through it might be because the Lord wants to change your perspective. See, the perspective of Jesus standing outside in the front yard of this house is he's really hard to get to. The perspective that these guys would have had at this point is they only saw Jesus as his head bobbed back and forth between all these other heads. Jesus at this point just kind of blends in with everything else and everybody else. It wasn't until they made it up on the roof and when they pull apart those, those roof tiles and look down on this man, suddenly there was nothing. There was no one that stood between him and them and Jesus. And for the first time, they had the father's perspective. Looking in, this is how easy it is. There he is right there. They lower him down. And, uh, and so just before we keep moving, I, I love that the gospel writer says that Jesus saw their faith. 
seeing their faith. Doesn't that just like mess with our theology a little bit? Because we're so obsessed with like the personal relationship with Jesus. We're so obsessed in America with like, well, when did you say the sinner's prayer? And you know, is that date written down in your Bible? On the, at the front, there's like a page and a, a blank. You know, when did you, if you ever spent any time overseas, then you know that in other parts of the world, there is not this like, it was on May 14th at Bible camp. No, it's a journey. It's a journey. People are exposed to the gospel and, and they start to like taste it and see that it's good. And they start to incorporate it into these places of desperation into their lives. And, and, and be it the baptism of fire by persecution or, or of genocide in their land or of insane governmental oppression, whatever it is, these people find out that there is a hope, there is a source. And it wasn't about like this one day when this one thing happened. It was about every day of their lives when the gospel is made real to them and through them. I don't care what day you prayed the sinner's prayer. I care about today. Seeing their faith. There are these little things that chafe with us. Like, I'll tell you, one of those things in the New Testament, we see these things, these little odds and ends, bits and bops, where it's kind of like, what? Like... Like, because of the Father's faith, the house will receive salvation. Little, little things like that. Like, like, even there's stuff about mothers. There's stuff about, about how there's almost like this osmosis type of effect that happens when we really are walking in the Spirit. And I like to think that what it really means is just because you're constantly emitting the glory of God in your life, that it becomes almost inconceivable that anyone in your presence, anyone in your sphere of influence can escape without knowing Jesus the way that you do. Because you just like leak it at every table, at, in, every, in every gathering, at every, at every setting. Seeing their faith. I wonder sometimes, we're so humanistic, we're so individualistic in this country. And so sometimes we, we, we will despise the, the weakness or the size of someone else's faith, not realizing that the Lord is looking for our faith to rise up. Like I, I, might, I might have somebody that I'm trying to bring to Jesus and, and what I want to do is I want to shake the guy, get a hold of you. Get a hold of yourself. <laughs> Did you know who this is? Would you start believing? Pray the prayer with him already. Anybody say that? Like standing over somebody at the altar? And you're like, pray it. <laughs> you're going somewhere in five minutes. You decide now where you're going. <laughs> Sometimes I want to do that with people. And what the Lord is saying is I'm not worried about that man's faith. I'm looking for faith that will climb the side of a building, scale a wall, dismantle a roof to get him in front of me. That's the faith that changes people. That's the faith that changes situations. That's the faith that transforms. That's the faith that activates power. Sometimes we read this story. I mean, I grew up thinking it was all like the man's friends. Right? Remember that VBS lesson? This guy had four friends, and they carried him around wherever he needed to go. I'm not certain that that was the truth, because that's not actually in the Bible. What I think is these were guys that grew up with this guy on their block, 
and they walked past him every day. And it was always, can you guys take me here? Can you guys take me to the mall? Can you guys take me with you to the football game? Can you guys change my bed sheets, my bedpan? Can you guys, whatever it is. And like, I think, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking these guys got tired of the man's helplessness. But watch this. Instead of leaving him there, they bring him to Jesus. Instead of leaving him in his helplessness, instead of criticizing it, instead of saying, you know, maybe if you had a more positive attitude. Did you read the books I gave you? Did you listen to the podcast? Okay. Did you do the, did you fill out the paperwork? They got tired of his helplessness, but instead of leaving him there, they brought him to Jesus. So that brings us to the cripple. We've got the crowd. We've got the crew. The next is the crippled man. And I want to say this morning, and Jesus points it out, that he was as spiritually paralyzed as he was physically crippled. And he could do nothing about either condition on his own. He's kind of a passive He's kind of a passive, static figure until this encounter with Jesus. If you think about it, it's like there was a man, but he's not doing anything. Like, he's just laying there like he has been for possibly decades. He's not doing anything. He's not, he's, maybe he's like trying to encourage the guys as they're like lifting him up, hoisting him up the side of the house. Maybe he's like, you can do it. Good job, guys. Keep going. He's like eating chips or something. That's what I imagine him to be doing. But he comes down and right in front of Jesus, and the Lord says these words to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I love how, I love how the plurality of his issues is used by Jesus to turn this into a lesson on order. Because I'm, I'm about order right now. I haven't figured it out, I'm not a master of order but I'm about it. I'm after it. We are after it as a church. We are going after order because that's what we feel the Lord has purposed us for in this season. But Jesus uses this to teach us about order. And we're going to get to Jesus in a second. But for right now, this man experiences salvation. And by the way, when the Bible says that there was power in the room to perform healing, that word healing is just as figurative. It's just as spiritual as it is physical. It, it could be translated salvation. The power was in the room for salvation. And both things take place here, but watch. When Jesus does get around to saying, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and what? And pick up your stretcher. I was in a conference in Charlotte. My wife and I were leading worship down there and uh, with some friends from Bible school. And, um, and we just had a really cool time. The Lord like, ended up not being the way it was supposed to be, and then it ended up being better, and God was just doing something awesome down there. But a young man uh, from the Boston area was speaking about the miracle that took place by the pool of Bethesda. And I am sitting in that message, and like the Lord's giving me notes for this one. I'm like in this passage, writing this message. And I see this guy walk up on the stage and he has like a yoga mat rolled up under his arm. And as he puts it down on the ground, I'm like, oh, I know where he's going. 
And, and he kind of tied this same point into that message as the Lord speaking to me about this one. And I thought that was cool. But the idea here is that the Lord is interested in that stretcher. Now, if you come from an old school Pentecostal church like I do, um, I got saved in a church that was crazy Pentecostal, like, like Blues Brothers on TV Pentecostal. Okay, like people were swinging on chandeliers and like crazy stuff. But I'll tell you something else about that church. People got healed. And, and if you didn't believe it, you could turn around and see the back wall and the back wall was plastered with like wheelchairs and fake legs and like, like, like uh, crutches and stretcher, things like this, plastered all over the wall, like crazy, like braces and like all sorts of stuff that they, it looked like a cracker barrel for handicapped people. It was just like, you know, just like, hey, is there room over here? You like tack this up. Hey, we're running out of space. Start to work out into the lobby or whatever. You know, it was like a little creepy until you realize what it was about. People were being really radically healed, supernaturally healed. The Lord is interested in what's left behind. And Jesus says to the man, get up, go home, shout for joy, tell everybody about it. No, he says what? He says, pick up your stretcher. And he told the man by the pool of Bethesda the same thing. He says, pick up your mat. And here's the guy, paralyzed for who knows how long, taking the very thing that once brought him places against his will, now taking it for the Father's will, carrying it all the way back into the house, the thing that had once defined and limited and bound him was now under his arm, not just under his feet. We love victory over things, but I think sometimes we forget to pick them up and bring them with us. This is the most powerful part of my testimony, but I'm ashamed of it, Zach. It still has poop stains on it from when I couldn't control my you know, movements. Still smells. Well, what do you want me to do with this? I'm not hanging this on the wall. My mom will kill me. No. This embarrassing, humiliating thing is one of the most powerful tools that you have. It says who you used to be. It says on this very stretcher, I was taken places against my will. There was no control in my life. There was no order. It was helplessness and desperation until I met Jesus. Pick up your stretcher. The thing that took four guys to bring there needed one guy to carry out. Why? Because the weight was gone. The weight was gone. If you're writing things down, make sure you get this. <clears throat> Until we pick up our stretcher, it's always ready to receive us again. See, if this thing was just laying like this, right? Let's just say, let's just say it's not nailed to the wall. Let's just say it's just like that. There are going to be times in my life when now that I have the use of my spiritual legs, now that I have full mobility and, and functionality of all of my extensions and parts in the Lord, 
there's going to be times when I come up against things and things come up against me that, that make me afraid, that make me nervous. And in that fear, in that anxiousness, my mind wants to go to a safe place, a comfortable place, a place where I don't have to carry my own weight. And out of the corner of my eye, I'm going to see it. There was something kind of nice about just going to the bathroom wherever I laid. There was something kind of nice about just being carried around. There was something kind of comfortable about it. My pillow's still there. Still smells like a thousand sleeps. I could go back to that right now. In fact, I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to sleep on that thing tonight. Nobody's going to know. Until we pick it up. Until we bind it to the testimony. Until we nail it to the stinking wall, it's ready to receive us again. Pick up your stretcher and walk. He came helpless before the Lord, and I think that that vulnerability is what's required of us. So let's move to our last character here. We've done the crowd, the crew, the cripple, and finally, the Christ. There's something really interesting that we learn about the Father here and how authority was given to Jesus. And I want us to just pay for just a minute here special attention to the fact that the order in which Jesus does things, and it's not that hard. I mean, you can, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, here's Jesus like interrupted mid-teaching by the sound and like dust falling from the ceiling and people are like, the sky is falling in. But it actually opens out and, and here comes, you can't tell, it's like just like a rectangle and there's ropes and stuff. And what is that? Is that somebody's arm hanging over the side? What is going on? And here he comes right down in front of Jesus and the first words out of Jesus' mouth are not like, you guys are gonna clean this up, right? The first words out of Jesus' mouth are like, hmm, you know, there's a front door right over there. The first words are, friend, your sins are forgiven you. That shows you where the priority was, wasn't it? Seeing their faith, Jesus addresses the man's sins. It was faith that brought about the forgiveness of sins, but it was doubt that actually brought about the miracle. Jesus says, keep going, right there. He says, why are you reasoning in your hearts to the Pharisees and the teachers? Which is easier to say your sins have been forgiven or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know. At this point, the man whose sins have just been forgiven, the man who's still laying on this stretcher, Jesus is like, this guy's taken care of. He's all set. But to make a statement, to make a point, to the ones in the room who are criticizing and doubting my authority, I will say, get up. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy because to us, we see that, that, uh, that natural thing, that, that, that earthly thing as the bigger issue. It's the thing that we can't get away from. But Jesus deals with the eternal state first then uses the physical healing to make a statement. The external 
is what he is. When he says your sins are forgiven, he, he's making a statement about what he is, who he is. But when he says get up and walk, the temporal, it's a statement about what he has. And what he has is the authority. The authority and active engagement in everyday life. This isn't just, see, you're in, you're, your walk with the Lord, that prayer that you prayed at an altar, that, that initial decision to follow Jesus, that, that was not the end. That was not like a box that you checked and now you just go on with the rest of your life. Well, I went through confirmation when I was, everybody I, I asked in New England, it's like, I didn't know this for years. I got here and I'm talking to people and I knew one Catholic in North Carolina, if you don't remember that story from another message. I get up here and I'm like, so, you know, I'm out like Starbucks or whatever, talking to people about the Lord. And I'm like, so are you a Christian? And this was everyone's answer. Well, I did my confirmation. I'm thinking, what the heck is that? I didn't know. I didn't understand any of it. And so I think sometimes we look back on that prayer. We look back on that date that's written somewhere. We look back on a season of our lives when salvation was real and we check the box. When in reality, the Lord wants to bring about the supernatural in your life every day of your life so that the doubters and the haters and the folks that are gathered around the situation are proven who he really is and what he's really about. You getting saved is who he is. He is the gospel. But you being healed, you being restored, you receiving um, victory after victory and glory to glory, that's about what he has. Let's keep going. So if you're writing things down, you can get this. The power to heal rests in the teaching of Jesus. It says one day he was teaching and people were there listening to him teach. Pharisees and teachers were being taught. They had come from all over the place, semicolon, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform miracles, for him to perform healing. The power to heal rests in the teaching of Jesus. And while faith activates that power, it has to find a way around religion and law in order to do so. Faith shows up. Jesus is there. The power for, them to heal, for him to heal is there. Faith shows up with the need. But in order for the miracle to take place, faith has to come into contact with Jesus. And before it can do it, tragically, it has to find its way around religion and law. Now, I, I, I think in this room, we, we'd like to think of ourselves more as the crew than the crowd. We don't want to ever think that we're the ones that are blocking somebody else from seeing Jesus. But yet, even, even in sometimes I think the most free or spiritually apt or, you know, most veteran like Christian and in and, and the Holy Spirit, I, I think that there still is something in us like these teachers that resorts to the reasoning in our minds or the, the justifying in our hearts. We're trying to work the ideas and the vision of Jesus into our philosophies and our filters of justice, our personal justice system. And I think sometimes we, we look at somebody and we, we take inventory of their sins, because we're experts at that, right? 
of seeing somebody else's sins. And we come up with a plan of how, well, this person should have consequences and they should be punished. They shouldn't be treated like everybody else. Well, if this person has this going on in their lives, then it's probably for a reason. And even if we don't know that reason, we should probably hold them at arm's length because we don't know that reason. And then when we find out that reason, we're going to hold them at even further arm's length. The power to heal rests in the teaching of Jesus. My concern, saints, is that many churches today are gathered around the teachings of Jesus. But the faith that's present cannot connect with the power that's present to result in transformation. And that's why we have so much of the bride of Jesus with so little of the transformation that he so longs to bring. I remember back, it was the summer that we like doubled in size from 125 to 250. And these like awesome, awesome people were coming in the door. We got the LaPlantes, we got the Kamanapalis, we got so many incredible families over the course of this one summer. And, and the church was still so young and I was getting excited because I'm like, whoa, like this is crazy. Like these are awesome families that God's bringing to us to, so, so God must be planning something big. And I'm thinking like, you know, to expand in the plaza. <laughs> anyway. And, uh, and so I'm looking at these incredible families and I'm thanking God, I'm getting excited. And the Lord says to me so clearly in that gentle kick of a rebuke and a kiss that only he can do. And he says, you're never to measure success by a head count, but only by transformed lives. And then I felt like that balloon, you know, that farts around the room as the air buzzes out of it. But then the Lord started to show me transformation. Whoa, whoa. And I commit to you, I commit to this church that we will never be a place that just gathers around the teachings of Jesus, but that we will gather with a discernment and a sensitivity to know what the power is for in the room. And if there's a grace here for healing, if there's a grace here for restoration, if there's a grace here for salvation, whatever it is, Lord, may we never miss it because we showed up with our own agenda. God, may we never, may we never be so consumed with whatever it is. I don't want to be another church that just sits around the teaching and the theology. I want to be a church that makes a, a space in the crowd where the least likely have access to the one who brings the transformation. So that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jamal, you can come up, or whoever's doing worship. Altar call, anybody. You got the, my man right here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it myself. I haven't done altar call in a while. I miss it. I cut my teeth on altar calls.
when I wasn't good enough to lead worship for the real service, they said, Zach, you can sing a song at the altar call. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Lord. How we love you. How we love you, Lord. Saints, when he says this line, when he comes out with, I'm going to do this healing, I'm going to break this rule, this, this, this gravitational pull of, of brokenness, of sin, of oppression. When he says, I'm going to break this rule and I'm going to heal this man, he's, he's making a statement, not just about who he is, but what he has, this authority. And I want to say this morning before we close that Jesus' greatest work, his greatest work was not a moment of grace or compassion made in response to our, our ailments or our neediness or our desperation. His greatest work was a life and death of obedience in response to the Father's heart. And that's why he obtained the authority to forgive sins. And that's why anything that followed after that, anything that came behind that, anything else that could, that could possibly happen at the work of his hands, it was simply to point everyone's attention back to who he was and the authority to forgive. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. see the crowd wants Jesus as a teacher but the father sent Jesus to be a transformer and I want to encourage you in this place as you welcome the Lord into your life as you welcome him into this house as you welcome him into every time you gather in his name as you welcome him into your morning commute to work as you welcome them into your families and into the raising of your new babies and the sending off of your college kids. Do so knowing that this is not just about what he taught us. Yes, that's so important, but without its marriage to the faith that we have in him, he is just another great historical figure. It's the fact that he has the power to forgive. And in John 20, we see he extends that power to us. If you forgive anybody's sins, they'll be forgiven. If you retain anybody's sins, they'll be retained. If anybody watches the news, then you know the crowd has become an expert at retaining sins. The crowd is a pro at keeping records of wrongs. But the bride needs to sober up, saints. And we've got to rise up with the same forgiveness that's been extended to us and turn that around back on the world around us. And instead of being concerned about making sure that this person pays their penance and that the, that the justice system, you know, that somebody does their time and, and that they're, they're not allowed whatever it is that we think they shouldn't be allowed. Disengage from that crowd. And instead, pick up a stretcher. 
do whatever it takes to get somebody before Jesus. Maybe you're in this place this morning and you've never heard the words of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Maybe you've never heard that from anybody. Maybe you grew up hearing it from a priest and you couldn't quite believe it. It didn't quite settle in. Maybe it wasn't just one big sin somewhere in your past, but maybe it's been a life of sin, of, of struggles, of issues. And, and it's a weight that's on you. If today's the first time that you're hearing of that and you'd say, Zach, I'd love to know the one who's forgiven my sins. If that's you in this place, step out of your seat and meet me down here this morning. Is there anybody in here and that's you? So that means everybody in here is either the crowd or a crew because you're not Jesus in spite of what some of y'all think of yourselves. The crowd or the crew. You're either the people that are blocking someone from Jesus or you're that sycamore tree that's willing to be climbed on and carved in so that someone can see him. You're willing to be the one to go to unorthodox measures to make sure that somebody encounters him. So Lord, I pray this morning that you look across this room and that you find hearts that will be disengaged from the crowd Lord, that we'll become sensitive to what it is that you're really here for. Lord, that we will, that we will fall in love with that heart that, that, that is here to heal, not just physical healing, but spiritual, eternal healing, the thing that, God, even when we do finally once and for all die and go on, Lord, that, that somehow we can also acknowledge that that is the ultimate healing. Lord, find in us the hearts that desire to see people come face to face with you. Find in us the hearts that will, that will go pick somebody up instead of continue to pass by them. Lord, so that you, that you can have what you've been longing for, so that you can, can have what it is that you showed up for, the transformational power. So we love you. We give you all the glory. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.